0: And so, last week, we looked at the confession aspect of it. But this week, we're going back to the Gospel of Luke. If you remember, two weeks ago, we had a guest preacher, Robbie. He came and he preached on Jesus healing the centurion guard's servant. The centurion guard sent his friends to Jesus to ask Jesus, Jesus, can you, can you heal my My servant. Jesus marveled at this man's faith. He was amazed. So Jesus, not even going to the centurion guard's house, healed the centurion guard's servant. If you remember back in Luke chapter 1, we are told that Luke is writing to Theophilus. He's writing to Theophilus so that Theophilus knows that what he has been told is the truth. And so today, Luke amplifies what Jesus has done. Luke is showing Theophilus that Jesus not only has the power to be able to heal the sick, but he also has the authority and power over death. And what we see is actually is that his authority and power over death is moved by compassion. Starting in verse 11 of Luke chapter 7, we read this. Now, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nine. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. God, we ask this morning that you would allow us to to know your word. That you would be gracious this morning and that we wouldn't come here and just be filled with intellectual knowledge about who your son Jesus is, but that we would leave here knowing that your son Jesus is God himself that we would be in more awe of your son Jesus realizing that that you have given him all authority in heaven and on earth God be gracious to us this morning please please protect me from saying anything that i shouldn't protect me from protect me from being ignorant or arrogant of your word And allow those who are here this morning to have softened hearts. To hear and receive your word. We pray this in your son Jesus name. Amen. Jesus is without a doubt. The most well-known person in history. Yet. On the other hand, Jesus is probably the the least understood person in history. What do I mean by this? Well, Thomas Jefferson was a Christian deist. Meaning that he believed in God, but he didn't believe that Jesus was God. See, Thomas Jefferson thought that Jesus was a great moral teacher and that he had amazing principles. It's said that if you looked at Thomas Jefferson's Bible, you could actually see lines through all of the miracles that Jesus ever performed. Mormons believe that Jesus is a created being, the brother of Lucifer. That he achieved godlike status. And Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, but that he did not die on the cross, that he was not crucified. Our human nature causes us to view Jesus less powerful than he really is. Our sin wants us to look at our Lord as a mere created being, a a good moral teacher, or just simply a prophet instead of the one who possesses all authority on heaven and on earth. But you see, our passage this morning shows us that Jesus' power extends to even death. Which will show us that this is no mere human or good moral teacher or just a great prophet. However, in order to understand the, the importance of the passage that we are looking at today, we, we need to start off with this meeting place that's going on. Because Jesus is not one to waste his time. He's very intentional. If you go to the, the gospel according to Mark, you'll actually see how many times Mark uses and Jesus immediately, and Jesus immediately. See, we come to this first verse, verse 11, and it says, Soon afterward he went to a town called Nine, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. So Jesus, what our verse is telling us with his posse went to this town. It's, it's a small town. Maybe a few hundred people, if that. If Jesus is really looking to make a name for himself, then certainly this little town off the beaten path wouldn't be the town to go to. However, Jesus' steps are calculated. He knows what he's doing. He has a providential meeting time. And so, we read on in verse 12. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. It's the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So as Jesus and his crew are approaching this town... They get to the gate and they quickly realize what's going on here. A funeral service is going on here. Our passage then goes on to tell us that, that the funeral that's being had is, is for a young man. He is, he is dead. We, we see this in our passage as we are told that they are carrying him out of the town. He is dead, dead. He has been pronounced dead prepared for burial and is being taken out to be buried. There is no mistake that is happening here. Our passage tells us a little bit more about what is going on here, that this, this man was the only son to his mother. Not only was, this, was he the only son to his mother, but she was also a widow. You know, this may be, this may be one of the most gut-wrenching encounters that Jesus may have had. Because not only did this woman lose her husband, but the one who was to now provide for her, the one who mimicked her husband, her dear and sweet husband that she most likely loved, the, the one who maybe had corks like her husband was now gone as well, her only son. It would be as if at age 12 in Haddon's life, I were to pass away long enough for him to develop some of my quirks and sense of humor and to be left with Sharice for a few years just for him to be taken as well. See, but one of the, the things that's also important here to note is that during this time... The son, the the oldest son would take care of the widowed mother. He would be the one who would provide for her and now he is dead. So not only is the husband who was to provide for her dead, but now her only son is now dead, left for nobody to provide for her. This is truly a heart breaking scene that we are seeing right here because this woman is about to enter into one of the most neglected people groups of her time and that's most likely why there's such a great crowd that's following her is because they knew what was about to come for her this is largely why jesus is constantly telling people take care of the orphan and widows because they were neglected now she had nobody so coming to this it may seem Jesus you're late because up to this point we have only seen and Luke has only written about Jesus being able to heal the sick we don't know anything about Jesus being able to to raise the dead and so, in the classic book series, The Lord of the Rings, in the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, there's this great exchange that happens. As Frodo, the little hobbit, is waiting for Gandalf the Grey, the wizard, he's waiting for Gandalf to approach for his uncle's party and Frodo sees Gandalf coming and he runs into the carriage that the horse is pulling and Frodo starts to berate him. Gandalf, you're late. You are not on time. And Gandalf, calm, cool, collectively looks at Frodo and says, A wizard is never late nor early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Jesus is never late nor early but arrives precisely when he means to See we don't see in this passage Jesus pulling up to the scene with his crew turning around and looking at him and saying we're we're late I knew I shouldn't have let you guys have that last bathroom break. And Peter, I'm never going to listen to your directions again. You're always speaking out of turn. I knew we shouldn't have taken a left at this rock. (laughs) Jesus is not pulling up in a panic. He's not thinking everything is ruined now. Jesus is arriving precisely when he means to. And I know for us, far too often, it does not feel like Jesus arrives precisely when he means to. This may be one of the hardest things to come to grips with. Especially when you are in the valley. But when we are able to come to grips with this reality that God is a providential God, we are led to greater fellowship, communion, and love for our God. Because we know that all things are working together. And we may not fully see the whole picture, but our God is a providential God. But in our passage, what does this providence look like here? Well, we come to the next verse. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. In this great crowd, this woman most likely would have been at the front. Meaning that as Jesus is walking into the gate and she is leading out of the gate, they would have met head on she would have been faced with this man, Jesus, right at the gate. And as our Lord is looking at this woman, we are told that he had compassion on her. Now the word compassion here is trying to convey a deep sense of love. Now this, this love that is being conveyed is the, the gut-wrenching, heart-throbbing, chill-giving type of love that Jesus is expressing. Jesus isn't just sorry or sad for this woman, but her, his heart is breaking for this woman. And so what does Jesus do? Does our text tell us that he goes up and wraps her and gives her a big hug. Or maybe our text tells us that Jesus went up and gave one of those very truthful statements when a person passes away to the mourner, but maybe just shouldn't be said. You know, the statements like they're in a better place or they're looking down or this is not what they would want for you. Maybe there's some truth behind it, but it probably shouldn't be said. Let me just tell you, if if, if if you are ever in that situation and you feel awkward and you don't know what to say to somebody who's mourning the loss of a loved one, I would just encourage you to shut up. (laughs) Give them a hug. Tell them that you're praying for them. See, but what Jesus does here is actually the completely opposite of what we would think that he would do. Because Jesus approaches this woman face to face and he says to her, Do not weep. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but if there's a stranger that comes up to me and I'm bearing the loss of one of my children and they look and they say to me, do not weep, I'm probably going to try to take a swing. (laughs) Oh, but this is no ordinary person that is saying do not weep because the reason why Jesus here is saying, do not weep, is because of his compassion. This command that we're seeing of Jesus telling this woman of not weeping is, is a command of, of hope. Because Jesus walks up to the bed as we read in verse 14. Then he came up and touched the bearer and the bearers stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, Arise. Jesus goes up to this bed. It would have been kind of a a bed that this dead body was laying on. He goes up to it and he touches it, which was a shocking and scandalous thing for anyone to do. Because first off, in the middle of a funeral service, you don't stop the person being taken out. You definitely didn't touch the dead body. But also according to Leviticus of of the the ceremonial laws, you were not allowed to touch a dead body because that would signify that you were unclean. Jesus, Jesus, disregarding those maybe cultural norms, goes up, touches it, and tells the dead young man to arise. And when Jesus commanded this, when Jesus commanded the dead young man to arise, he rose. Jesus has authority over death. Our passage tells us, though, not only did the man spring up just in case it's, I don't know, some type of reflex that's going on. But we are told that the man gets up and starts to talk. Not one second ago was this young man's heart not beating. There was no breath in his lungs, and as soon as Jesus told this young man to rise, he he rose and he talked. This was not a slow p- process, as if he's he's kind of coming to himself and coming out of uh, coming to consciousness. He is. Risen and starts to talk as if he is just picking up where he left off a few days ago. This man is alive. He is very much alive. And so we see that Jesus has authority over death. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before experienced the the cry of a young infant who is obviously in pain. It kind of makes your, your stomach turn a little bit to hear the infant in pain. It's a different type of cry that you realize. And all you can do is just pick up that infant and hold them. Letting them know that you are here for them. There's a deep sense of compassion when you pick up that child wanting to be able to take away that pain, but knowing that you can't. See, there's, there's a difference between Jesus and us. However, this is one of the most amazing truths about who Jesus is. that we do not serve a high priest who is not able to sympathize with us. We do not serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. He is able to sympathize with us in every single way. He is able to look at us in the deepest and darkest valleys and have compassion for us. He is able to sympathize with us. And one important thing that we must see in this passage is that Jesus' compassion or sympathy for this woman was not out of her faith. It wasn't the faith of the woman that Jesus had compassion for. This woman was clearly weeping as his command said, Do not weep. And yet, his compassion for her was solely out of the depths of his heart, not out of her faith. Do you know one of the most amazing things about this passage is, is that it so clearly represents the gospel. We look to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul clearly tells us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Do you know that, that you either are or once were spiritually dead? Like this young man, every single day apart from Christ, you are walking inch by inch, step by step, closer to the judgment and wrath of God. Oh, but there is more, because in verse 4 we read, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, God having compassion on those who are living in sin, dead in sin and trespasses, Loved them with a great love. And what are we told? Verse 5, even when we were dead. Even like when we were dead like this young man. God made us alive together in Christ. And may I be so bold to say that that you being alive in Christ has nothing to even do with your faith. Why is that? Because then in verse 8 of Ephesians 2. For by grace you have been saved. And it is through faith. It is for by grace you have been saved. Not for uh, by your faith, you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. The great love with which God looked down upon his creation and loved, he, he sent his only Son to, to bear the sins and iniquities of mankind so that all of those who profess Jesus as their Lord could taste and see the goodness of God and be made alive in Christ. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. This is the free gift that is still extended today. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God. What did this dead man do to deserve this gift? Nothing. You have done nothing to deserve the gift of salvation this is what makes God's love and compassion towards sinful humans so extraordinary. But our passage doesn't end here. And quite frankly, it can't end here because what we are about to read tells us something crucial about who Jesus is. When the people saw this dead man alive, what does our passage say? It says this. And, and so the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother and, and fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The only appropriate response to seeing somebody raise a dead man to life is conveyed here. They, They feared God. And they glorified God. And they said a great prophet has risen among us and that God has visited us. They're making an incredible statement here that Jesus is some type of great prophet and that God has visited us. But oh, how, how close does this group of people come to, to understanding that not only did God come and visit them, but that God himself is right in front of them. And so after all of this took place, Jesus' name becomes more popular as they start telling more and more people about him his his name and his works are are spreading rapidly and so i'd like to conclude this morning like this looking looking very specifically at at verse 16 Because I think we have seen that Jesus is is no mere created human being. And I think we've seen if if we're really approaching scripture this morning as honest as possible, we're also seeing that Jesus is not just a a good moral teacher. But what about this great prophet that the people here are claiming him to be? Is Jesus just a great prophet? Well, in order to, to see this, we get a a great picture of this in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. This account is almost a, a mere image of, of what is taking place. This passage says this, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah... What have you against me, O oh, man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And, and he took her, he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chambers where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. "O oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elisha. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him or gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. Did you notice any similarities between our passages here this morning? Did you notice that this passage in 1 Kings was about a widow? And about a son, who her only son, who died? And about a, a great prophet, the prophet Elijah? And that Elijah cried out to God and, and God revived him? And it even goes as far to say in verse 23, and he delivered or gave him to his mother, right? Isn't this what we are told in, in Luke That Jesus gave him to his mother. So Luke is really using the same wording here. Did you notice those similarities at all? Did you notice one of the most important differences that's going on here? Let me read them for you. Verse 21. We'll read verse 20 and 21. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elisha. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. So we see that Elisha had to cry out to the Lord three times. Elisha cried out to God three times that this child would be revived. Because a prophet has to cry out to God. A prophet does not merely have the authority to raise somebody from the dead. Oh, but in our passage this morning, in our passage this morning, did you catch what Jesus says? Jesus does not cry out to God. Instead, Jesus says this. Then he came up and touched the beer and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Did you catch that? Jesus has the authority not to, to cry out to God because he is God. And so he has the authority over death to be able to say, I say to you, young man, arise. Oh, Jesus is just not a great prophet here. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. And this is why he is able to say, I say to you, rise. Rise. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the God-man. The invisible made visible. The one who possesses authority over all things. Now I wonder. I wonder if you look at Jesus as the Son of God. I wonder if you look at him merely as just a good moral teacher, or just a created being, or or maybe it is a prophet that you do view him as do you view him as God in the flesh? Truly God, truly man? Well, how does your life show it then? Let's pray. Father, we ask, we ask this morning that we wouldn't be persuaded merely by intellectual truths, but that we would, we would see and savor save you. That we would not just just leave here this morning, not change, but that your Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts And that you would be growing us. That we would be able to experience you more. Know you more. Love you more. That you would enlarge the expansions of our heart. Father, I, I pray for those who came in weary this morning. They leave encouraged. And to those who came in practicing sin leave convicted. And, and to those who... Who claim to know you. But are just being religiously driven for outward appearances. Are convicted. And they come to know you and you soften their heart. Father be gracious to us this morning. It's in your son Jesus name who lived and died for us. That we pray this. Amen. if if we see a brother or sister with a speck in their eye that we would first check our own hearts that we would we would by all means and measures chop down the tree that has grown from our eye father i plead this please allow this to be real to us and not just look at it as Jesus is a morally good teacher, but that he is the son of God. Pray this in your son Jesus' name, who is worthy of all honor, glory, and power. Amen.